I love the people of the UK. My mother was born, as you know, in Scotland. She loved Scotland. She loved the Queen. Uh, she was a great. She was a great person, a, and she loved Scotland. That's just all right. Well, uh, what do I want to? I, I never know how to start these things. I want to talk about TikTok though. Um, What's happening with TikTok? So yeah, we got a bit of traction with TikTok. A couple of thousand views. It's not great, but it's a yeah. start. Yeah. And I really want us to go viral on TikTok. That's why, if you're listening, Matt is wearing a bucket on his head as we speak. <laughs> really trying to go for the ticket. I'm I'm currently in Romania negotiating <laughs> the opening of a brothel. But uh, the main thing I think is we need to continue our Socratic dialogue on what is woke and what isn't woke. Yeah. And today's yeah. topic is Wilco. Is that a shop? Professor Matt on whether it's woke or not woke. He knows everything about what's woke or not woke. Uh, is that a shop? Hang on. Uh, yes, it is. I guess you don't have Wilco in Bath, in Bath, because it's uh, for poor people. Oh, it's DIY. I mean, yeah. it's, it's sort of it's sort of home, homeware, DIY. I think they've got pick and mix. It's a bit like a, a rundown, like a low-level uh, Woolworths. So, you know, Woolworths went down the pan, and now Wilco is only natural. Having said that, though, in, in the current economic climate, you would imagine that Wilco would be thriving, if anything. Mm. It's a sort of cheap, like, shitty John Lewis. Mm. But uh, apparently... No, apparently not. I always think that about these sort of companies. Like, they're in all the major high streets, apart from in Bath, obviously. They could never never corner the Bath market. But why don't they just downgrade? What is it with these companies? They just expand, 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 and then they just implode. And that's the natural order of business. And there's no, like, sort of way of, of accountability for these sort of things happening. It always ends like this. Are you saying that Woolworths, when it was brought into administration, should have become a democratic institution <laughs> run like the GLC. <laughs> <laughs> no, no, I'm just saying like, what, well, yeah, I guess capitalism doesn't work. So it's, it's yeah. what I'm saying. Is that your point? Yeah, massive. <laughs> yeah, I've got a really <laughs> cutting point about Wilco. <laughs> hey, Only on this channel. <laughs> capitalism um, has some issues, guys. Hot yeah, speak. Uh, I think you need to speak close to your mic. I'm trying to turn up. The capitalism button. has some issues, guys. That's, that's it. My hot, that's my hot take. That's Oh, yeah. So um, just looking at the minutes from the last meeting, uh, a few action items. I just want to get through a few things from the last minute. But firstly, I disavow. I think this is how we should start every episode. We disavow everything that was said in the last episode. That way we can stay ahead of any cancel culture. Uh, so one of the things was that I was talking about the Guardian antisemitism, which actually I do stand yeah. by, <laughs> apart from anything else. And I just want to Definitely talk stand about by the Guardian, yeah. No, no, no! Fuck the Guardian. <laughs> but that would. But uh, thank you for that. Was the video that we got a few views on TikTok talking about antisemitism in the Guardian? Yes. Um, I think the issue with the Guardian is, and this is this is something going back to antisemitism in the Labour Party, and it's hard not to sound patronising here to the Guardian because they 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 do do great work, right? I, I was looking at the Guardian just today, and there's some really good stories. Uh, so apparently, do you know Takeshi's Castle? The Japanese game show, where uh, they where they have yeah. to uh, run over soft play and fall in water and stuff. Do you never oh, watch that? Yeah, yeah. Craig Charles used to present it. Oh yeah, yeah, vaguely, yeah. 
so that's I read an article in the Guardian saying that's coming back. Unfortunately, Craig Charles isn't presenting it, but that's not the Guardian's fault. They just they just report the facts, and that yeah. that was that was good. Another article was high fashion aesthetic with ease. Why Mary Jane's a footwear du jour? So the this shoe called a Mary Jane is becoming right. very popular this autumn. It's good to know. Uh, yeah. Um, Rachel Roddy's recipe for lamb, potato, tomato, and breadcrumbs. Definitely going <laughs> to okay. put that. Keep that in the back where pocket. You're going with this. <laughs> so the Guardian do good work. Nobody is <laughs> nobody's saying that the Guardian is a total waste of time. Um, you know, it's just like much like you know other newspapers like the Daily Star or do you remember the Daily Sport? You know, still they up. have got good stuff in there, but they do tend to sensationalize and go for sort of clickbaity grifter type stories about conspiracy theories. In the Guardian's case, anti-Semitism. And I think this is, this is a broader problem with the media, um, particularly legacy media is, is, is losing market share. They're desperate for relevance, they're desperate for clicks. So, so they do these sort of outrageous stories about, you know, basically Jewish conspiracy theories. Um, and another issue about that is it's, it's, a bit, it's about education, right? Uh, you, you want a mass movement, you want things like the Guardian to be involved, you know, in a, in a large left-wing project. At the same time, if you're going to have a lot of people writing articles, you know, involving themselves in the movement, you have to call out people that they don't really know what they're doing. You know, The Guardian, it's great. If The Guardian talking about autumn fashion trends, they're really good. But don't try and talk about the intricacies of geopolitics, Guardian, because, you know, and I don't want to be patronizing, but it's just like certain people you know that just aren't don't quite have the education don't quite have the nuance they tend to fall into these anti-semitic conspiracy theories and i think that's that's what we saw with the guardian last week uh, and that's what we saw with uh, jonathan Fran, uh, friedland not to be mistaken with adam friedland who is the wrong kind of jew um as we said we, it's, it's all right to criticize israel it's just you've got to be nuanced about it You've got to be educated like us, you know, responsible, mm. I suppose, is the word. Mm. Would you agree, Matt? Yeah. I think you can only criticize Israel for being too nice. They should talk about mm. Israeli yeah. fashion trends in the autumn. They, they, they... <laughs> yeah, what shoes is Israel wearing? <laughs> okay, so uh, other, other, other updates. Um, oh, yes, plastic straws. So I've been doing a little bit of research. Mm. And uh, I like how you keep coming back to these themes, the plastic straws, the uh, COVID conspiracy, Piers Corbyn. What, look, I, as I said, I, I didn't mention the COVID conspiracy. I never <laughs> said I said I would never mention it again. And I knew that you would bring it up. Go on, um, plastic straws. What's happening with plastic straws? What's the latest? Well, plastic straws actually give you COVID. No, <laughs> that's a plastic. <laughs> plastic. So I was reading about McDonald's Canada. Okay. So. Because I was trying to find out what happened to all the plastic straws. There was a basically a worldwide ban, give or take, around early 2021. Yeah. At McDonald's. Um, and I, as I suspected in our last episode, they didn't wait to run out of the straws that they had mm. and then switch over to, to paper. They switched over to paper while already having a big stockpile of plastic straws. And I was like, well, they just what? left it as a big stockpile somewhere. Well, anywhere. I was wondering that because I wanted to go get them and, and mm. distribute them from like the, the mm. top of the gherkin or whatever to the, to the back to the people. 
but yeah. no, they they actually did something. They were pretty ingenious. So this is what God, uh, and I think this is not just Canada, but I read an article about Canada, but this is happening at McDonald's across the world. They've taken the plastic straws and they're turning them into kind of novelty trays. So in Canada, they're kind of novelty Canadian trays show with images of Canadian things like, I don't know, maple syrup and uh, what else does like, Canada? sounds like quite a good idea. No, healthy, no, you, you've completely <laughs> not not on board with this podcast. <laughs> I think that's brilliant. I haven't. Well I really haven't them, argued my case very well. They're recycling the. You mean are you criticising them for recycling the straws? Well, wait, wait till you hear the full story. Okay, so let's we'll stay with this for now. But there's another side to this. But just staying with this side of the story, right? So what are they doing here? They've got a huge amount of plastic waste. They don't know what to do with. So they're making them into novelty Canadian trays, which they're then mm. selling to the public. Nobody needs any more trays, certainly not any more well, plastic trays. So they're taking their own waste, selling it to you so that you can then put it in your kitchen and it'll just be left. It's basically like outsourcing your waste to the back cupboards of, of other people's kitchens. Presumably. Yeah, well, that is true. Because it's not going to go anywhere. Good. But yeah. listen to this. It get it go. It's it's deeper than that, right? So guess what's mm. this is what's happening in South American McDonald's. Mm. Oh, <laughs> I bet it's more sinister down there. So South American McDonald's is the CIA uh, involved? <laughs> no, because you know how McDonald's have their own plastic trays themselves. Oh, the serpent is eating its own tail. South American McDonald's are getting rid of their plastic trays because they're not sustainable. <laughs> so Canadian McDonald's are making plastic trays, extra plastic trays. Mm. South American McDonald's are getting rid of their plastic trays. Mm. Uh, and we're all getting rid of the straws, obviously. Mm. But we'll keep an eye yeah. on this. We're the, I, th I feel like we're the only podcast that are covering this story as, as, it, as it unravels. Well, and I, not I unravels, say... of all. I have to say it's a it's a lot more interesting than I, than I gave it credit for actually because um, that is uh, yeah so they're making the they're they're basically just shifting around materials. Well, the, the material materials. can never be destroyed. You can't destroy it anyway. <laughs> so so they're just like oh well, we need to get rid of that for PR reasons. So we'll just stick it at the back of a million people's kitchens. I don't know how. I just feel like there's there's a, there's a waste of time, and, and obviously it costs energy to do all of this stuff. Yeah, I think maybe it's maybe the, maybe it's a bit of a distraction from uh, from the overall problem. That are you saying that I've become distracted by this story? <laughs> <laughs> You're better than this, goddammit. <laughs> <laughs> I reckon that because uh, I think fast food as a whole is probably a just a terrible disaster isn't it because it's just lugging stuff all over the world uh, and there's all sorts of different problems with the way it's done whereas i remember when i was a child i remember thinking well at least it's good that like we've got um mcdonald's and and all whatever because else you know else the, the people wouldn't provide as much food everywhere that's fucking ridiculous isn't it? it's like obviously if if there's no big companies involved then like you just get street vendors making much nicer food from the local area. <laughs> um, it'd be way better if we just got rid of the whole fucking, all of those restaurants entirely. I don't think they do any good at all, do they? No, but then how do you do that? 
because everybody, including myself, I ate it what the two weeks ago, or whatever, because it was the only place. The other thing is, it's the only place open after midnight in London. Yeah, but it wouldn't be, would it? No, you're right. It it's, wouldn't be, but yeah, you know, yeah. without having some sort of intervention, because it just naturally has taken over. You know, when I when you when you go to Liverpool Street, you've got a choice of, you know, Pret a Manger, Greg's, or McDonald's, or you know, the, the cool like independent thing which, you know, the closest you would get is upper crust, which isn't. It's just it's yeah. only available yeah, they're, in they're all shit. They're all shit, aren't they? They're all and shit, obviously, yeah. And obviously, Greg's, I don't include you in that. No, Greg's is fucking awesome. Um, <laughs> and actually, Greg's pay their staff really well. And it's a, and it's yeah. a British company. And it's from Newcastle, which, yeah, I, yeah. which is a town that I used to have a lot of fondness for until they lost to Liverpool at the weekend. <laughs> and are now almost at the bottom of the league. Fucking never, I'll never, yeah, fuck Newcastle. I'm not a supporter anymore. Well done. Sport Man City. Yeah, draw your draw your boundaries. You, you go, girl. <laughs> but like, yeah, this, so, you know, Pret Manger, basically nobody likes it really, but it's, mm. people accept it. It's convenient. It's often the only place you can go these days. So you end up going there, it ends up taking over the market. There's nowhere else open after 5 p.m. What do you do about it? Because if you have a government intervention, you can't, like, what do you legislate against it? I guess there is legislation in favor of it, right? The, the model at the moment is in order to survive, you have to sort of, you have to thrive, right? You have to keep opening new branches. It's really difficult to have, I'm just going to open an independent sandwich shop. And just well, it is, keep- but, but this, no, but this is the issue. It's difficult to open an independent sandwich shop because fucking McDonald's is on every corner. Yeah. So just, Introduce legislation to get rid of all the fucking big, uh, big chains. Like, put a link. What, I mean, I, I'm sure that's not kind a blanket solution, but people fucking know, love McDonald's. Fucking I ask a parliamentarian. <laughs> I don't know the exact wording. I don't, I don't know the exact fucking wording for. Give a us the answers, Matt. On how we encourage sandwich shops in the <laughs> municipalities, um, but obviously pushing back against those in some ways is surely surely going to be good for everyone. Maybe I should ask my sausage seller friend what he thinks about that well yeah i don't know how popular that would be just get really crap food well it wouldn't be popular because we've been fucking propagandized for about 70 years by um advertising campaigns by these fucking shitty uh takeaway companies well people young people like mcdonald's i like i like mcdonald's kfc kfc i also don't don't include you in that (laughs) um no kfc is fucking grim kfc is so grim like uh no do you know when i was a kid though i did like mcdonald's a lot and young people tend to, I don't know, I think it's, you have to, you have to be very, very healthy and, and young to, to be able to eat a McDonald's and not feel violently ill. <laughs> that's why it appeals so well. Well, that's the why, that's why young people. The only ones with the constitutions strong. Yeah, I th- well, I think if, 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 if people like under 30, whatever, felt what you, what you always feel after McDonald's um when you get older I, I yeah it wouldn't it wouldn't survive but when you're mm. a kid you get you get like the sugar rush and stuff but you don't feel it's like it's like hangovers <laughs> it's like the mcdonald's yeah. hangover it gets worse and worse yeah i guess it feels like a um yeah it feel, feels like a bit of a rite of passage if you can get through one of their fucking <laughs> but to burgers. be honest like no one no one cares about young people anyway so it would probably be quite a good vote winner with the with the older people it's it's going to be one of those unpopular bits of legislation that's going to it's going to come in, but uh, it's is it the, uh, the, 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 the 
the new world order on the mildly center left dictatorship that I'm going to initiate. All right. So, um, oh man, I've got. <coughs> anyway, so other news. N Nigel Agenda. Farage is banking whatever the fuck that is. So here's something I've got for Nigel Farage. Uh, a community hub, a Labour Party community hub in Broxtow in Nottinghamshire has been closed down by Labour HQ. Mm. And this is for, from Squawk Box. Do you ever read Squawk Box? Yeah. Um, yeah, yeah, it's pretty good. Um, it covers like all of the Labour Party news that you would never hear anywhere else. The, so this, so in the article it says, the Starmer regime has continued its shameful behavior towards local communities and party members by forcing a vital community hub to close in the crucial swing seat of Broxtow in Nottinghamshire. The party has locked members and their elected officials out of their constituency party bank account, that's where Nigel Farage comes in, which contained around 11,000 pounds of funds raised by members or donated by unions, forcing the CLP to close the community hub it ran because they were unable to pay the rent and bills. So Labour HQ came in, took over the bank account of this locally run hub, um, which had raised, I mean, it had £11,000 in the account. It raised a lot more over the last few years. Started before COVID, became a food bank during COVID. It's, uh, it's a really nice idea. It's something that, that was talked a lot about in Hackney Labour uh, when that was much more active, uh, you know, when Corbyn was leader. Um, and it's, we didn't get off the ground. It's a really difficult thing to start. But they managed to basically they got the premises of, uh, you know, uh, an empty shop in the high street. Mm. Um, but, you know, obviously they had to pay the rent on that and stuff. It was expensive. Mm. But once mm. they got people involved, paying regularly, donating to it, they were able to cover those costs. And then everything else went to a uh, food bank and they would put on events there and stuff. And it's like a community hub uh, on the one hand, just doing sort of basic outreach uh, but on the other hand, it's also linked to the local Labour Party, so it gets people involved in local politics. Yeah, yeah that yeah. was a big idea under Corbyn, right? But obviously, uh, the leadership of the Labour Party now didn't like it, so they basically got it closed down by taking away the bank account, uh, wow. and taking away the money. The money yeah, is still they, were, they weren't for. doing it. They weren't doing anything wrong. They were just just no. doing it as an act. Wow. But the well, the idea is that if you raise money for the Labour Party, Labour HQ has the right to come in, yeah. and they're, they're basically they were saying that the money should go towards campaigning. Mm. But then it's like, what is campaigning? Isn't this, in a sense, the best kind of campaigning you could imagine? Yeah, 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 yeah. Um, anyway, I'm sure Nigel Farage will be uh, up in arms about that and be straight on it. Oh, because yeah, because of the closing of the bank accounts. Yeah, I'm sure Nigel. Will, yeah. Love that cause, the eleven thousand pounds raised by a grassroots labour organisation. That's going to be right up his alley. That's why he started the website for this kind of yeah. thing. It's ignored, <laughs> ignored all the time by uh, by the big banks and the major corporations and media organisations. Uh, but there's more to this. It's because this is a pattern. Uh, also, in the article, it says the move by Starmer by the Starmer regime is reminiscent of similar actions in Bath. In Bath. Oh. What, on the, the Labour Party in Bath? Yep, where the party banned members from giving £3,600 to food banks, children's charities and Centre for Homelessness out of a bank balance of around £1.3 million. Because, the <gasps> yeah, this is this is Bath, where, where the Labour Party has £1.3 million. 
Mm, one just... million pounds. Yeah. <laughs> Not 11,000 pounds. <laughs> Um, That's huge. Because the regime wanted the money for its own purposes. Basically, the mm. party's been skint since uh, Stalin was taken over because members have left, members yeah. have stopped donating. Although, actually, according to Labour List, at the end of 2022, the, the Labour Party is back back in the green. Uh, but we'll talk about that. Black, back in the black. I always say back in the green. Uh, Bath was also among the victims of a property grab by the party to seize buildings bought out by members of uh, their own party. So members of Bath bought a property, I guess, to use as a hub or something um, locally. And Labour HQ have seized that property. Hmm. No wonder they're back in the black. Wow. Yeah. Um, how, how, how shit. Thanks, Matt. As always, <laughs> for your contributions. Another reason why, moving on, another reason why Labour might be back making money is uh, this is a story from uh, Open Democracy about Labour Conference, which is coming up in the next month. Labour Conference set to host weapons manufacturers and spyware firm. Weapon manufacturers, fossil fuel, fossil fuel companies and spyware firm are among those sponsoring events at this year's Labour Party Conference. Boeing and Badcock, both manufacturers of missiles, and Palantir, a controversial spyware firm funded by the CIA, will sponsor fringe events hosted by centre-left media company, the New Statesman Media Group. I don't think the New Statesman is centre-left, but anyway. Fossil fuel companies, private health, fir health firms, major banks, and the international airline groups, which owns British Airways, are also among those paying to have presence at the party's annual conference in Liverpool, which will host politicians and policy makers. Mm. Yeah. It's easy to make money if you know how. Got, yeah, the, uh... get get involved with the arms trade. That's the way. I'm going to an arms trade protest in uh, about a week. Um, Where? In London. I'll uh, I'll uh, I can't remember it off the top of my head, but uh, I'll send you the details in case we can meet up. But um, it's a it's a free Julian Assange slash oppose the arms trade um, shizzle. That's a, that's a good mix. I'm sure the I'm sure the Labour Party will send many representatives to support that that cause. Yeah. Um, speaking of uh, making money out of uh, being in the Labour Party, so we talked. Uh, was it last week? Whenever I talked about Starmer going to football matches. No, a couple of weeks ago. Yeah. Tip of the iceberg, mate. Tip of the iceberg. Mm. So here's uh, another story from Over Democracy, entitled. Starmer has taken more freebies than all Labour leaders since 1997 combined. Labour leaders 28... Sorry, go on. Where's he gone? The football? Yeah, he's gone to a lot of football because he loves football. <laughs> it's one thing we know about Starmer. But also, he's been to two Coldplay concerts. Oh my God. That's but isn't lot. that like that? I was like, of course, <laughs> that makes total sense. Starmer is a, is a massive Coldplay mm. fan. Of course he is. Mm. Um, not the first album. The first album was too heavy for him, but that second album, <laughs> Clocks came out. Oh, I, I've been trying to work on my. Can you do a Starmer impression? I'm really bad. I'm trying to work on it. My impression is basically a really bad impression of the Ian Duncan Smith's impression. But I'm, oh, Ian Duncan Smith doing an impression of Starmer. The, is the, the Ian Duncan Smiths, not Ian Duncan Smith himself. All <laughs> oh, right. Yeah. Okay. I saw Ian uh, I'd like to hear Ian Duncan Smith's impression of Starmer, though. That would be quite good. 
<laughs> yeah, it's really hard to do Starmer. It's like because he's got two. There's two parts to it. Mm. There's there's the sort of blocked up nose Adam Curtis. He's like Adam Curtis with a cold. <laughs> yeah. And then there's like the why I can't do the whiny one at all. So the the blocked up nose one is a bit like it starts with um 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 I want mm. to um I want to um see Coldplay. No, I can't do it. So then you got like a, on it. I'm working out. I'll come back next week. That we'll put we'll put that put that in the minutes. Action item for next week. Here's the mm, impression. Mm, mm. Yeah, Remedi remedial political impressions, um, part one. He also had uh, some dinners for, with uh, Google at Davos, three hundred and eighty pound dinner. Uh, in his five years as Labour leader, Jeremy Corbyn only accepted one such freebie: tickets to Glastonbury, where he spoke on the pyramid stage in two thousand seventeen. Yeah. <laughs> Former Corbyn advisor Andrew Fisher told Open Democracy the Islington North MP had made a point of turning down corporate hospitalities. His predecessor Ed Miliband only accepted tickets to the London Olympics and Paralympics opening and closing ceremonies and a number of contests during the games. Gordon Brown accepted no such gifts during his time as Labour leader and Prime Minister. Tony Blair. Led a jet-setting lifestyle, including accepting summer holidays with the regional president of Tuscany and in Cliff Richard's holiday home in the Caribbean. He accepted fewer gifts than Starmer, of course. Starmer's the best in his whole time as prime minister. So even though he's prime minister, what, for like 10 years? Starmer's been like leader for three mm. years or whatever. And usually donated the value. And this is uh, Blair. And usually donated the value of any such freebies to a relevant charity. <laughs> Starmer, on the other hand. Has also mm -hmm. uh, attended two glamorous days at the races, including six tickets with hospitality from Doncaster Races uh, in autumn mm -hmm. 2022, worth more than three grand, thanks to the Arena Racing Company. The race course's fine dining restaurant offers packages, which include glass per second. All right, we can get into the details, but interesting. Yeah, it's, it's one, when when is it enough, Kia? When is it enough? The, what is interesting, though, is in June this year, Starmer accepted a private box of four people at Epsom Downs Race Course including catering admission tickets total of £3,700, courtesy of the Jockey Club. Now, do you know anything about the Jockey Club? You've got to hold the mic up. Oh, sorry. I said I imagine that they're, uh, they're likely to be conservatives, aren't they? Yeah, I made a video about Randox about a year ago. I don't know if you saw it. Yeah, I did. Is that the uh, chemical company? Um, no, they're, they're, Medi they're medical uh, thing. Medical. Um, mm. But I made this, uh, let me put it up. I made this handy guide to Randox. So we've got Randox there in the middle, right? Mm -hmm. And then we've got, this is the Jockey Club, which uh, own, which uh, Aintree Racecourse, where the Grand National is held, owns the Jockey Club. The chair of Aintree is Rose Patterson, who's married mm -hmm. to the Tory MP, Owen Patterson, who... Um, I think had to step down because of his links to Randox as a paid consultant and he was lobbying the government. He's lobbying actually Matt Hancock during the pandemic. Um, Jockey Club also has various links to Matt Hancock himself who appointed Dido Harding as the uh, Tory peer of head of Track and Trace. Uh, she is also a board member of the Jockey Club. She also uh, gave COVID contracts to Randox. Randox sponsors Aintree and sponsored the Grand National in 2020. I don't know if it still does. And obviously, as I said before, Aintree is the owner of the Jockey Club. And it just goes round in circles, all of this stuff. And this was uh, the people that paid Keir Starmer to, um, to go to this, this race. 
And it, I mean, it doesn't surprise me. Like this is, this makes, when I started to look into this, it makes so much sense. Like the British establishment, it's all, it all happens at the fucking, you know, Aintree at the, at the races, basically in the private boxes. That's where um, all the deal making goes down. And Keir Starmer wants a slice of it. Yeah. Well, he's preparing to be prime minister, isn't he? And I, get, I imagine he will become prime minister in um, it's less than 18 months, isn't it? Uh, yes. It's basically all, like... Um, all his way into the, um, uh, into the executive. Well, yeah. I mean, it's like... And he went to Rupert Murdoch's party the other, mm. the other whatever month it was. And it's basically... People like Rupert Murdoch and these interests, they they decide who, who's going to be the prime minister. Mm. They decide what they're going to, if they're going to basically do a shit on them in their newspapers or not. Mm. And obviously the problem with this is that a lot of people who support Starmer and, and the sort of centrist position is, well, you totally accept that that's the way that the situation is and that Starmer has to jump through these hoops so that he can become prime minister. Mm. Um, and it's like, well, he's being smart by getting in with these people. Um, you know, the right wing press are always going to be terrible. He's just got to try and alleviate as much of, or, you know, dodge the attacks or, or lean into policy positions that the Tories withhold so that they can't use them against you. And you have to do all this stuff to become prime minister and then it's basically like well you just become the horrible thing that you're fighting against mm. and that's the accepted that that's what people like i don't know if you if you watch um a, a different bias he's like a centrist youtuber and he just openly says that that's what's what starmer's got to do he's got to become evil basically to mm. to get into power but then once you're there like can you can you come back from it because one of the problems with what Starmer's doing is it's having given up all of the grass support of the Labour Party getting money that way. He's getting all his money now from these mm. companies that supposedly uh, when he's in power, he's going to legislate against. Another thing is the gambling, mm. because obviously with the race racing as well, there's, they're obviously very linked to um, a, lot, a lot of the big um, betting websites and stuff. And that's another area where there's been a lot of interesting policies to try and change the way the betting is advertised and also like the legislation around how you can bet, um, betting addiction, tackling that. Uh, will he be able to bring any of that stuff if he's taking money from these organizations? Probably not. I, yeah. I, I don't think it's a good idea to, to compromise in, in that way with, um, you know, these reprehensible uh, corporate and political interests because I don't think you can come back from it. I think I think it's a delusion to think that you can um, that you can you know take all that money and then uh, somehow kind of be good when you're prime minister. I think I, I don't think that's going to work at all. I think it's a very self-serving way of seeing it. Um, if if indeed those those people do, um, I think you have to stick with your um, with with principles. And I, th I think that's been clear with with, uh, with what happened with uh, Blair and. I, I, I can't. I mean, I can't really see a counter argument to that. I don't. I don't think you can take that, take the gold coin and the, uh, from the sovereign, and then uh, not expect it to weigh heavy in your pocket. Yeah. Fact, if you look at, um, you know, that's one of the big successes of Donald Trump is that you know he he has appealed to the masses, 
and tr- and has gone with that. I mean, I don't know if you really call it principled, but he has appealed outside of the political mainstream because there's strength in numbers in the uh, in the actual electorate. That's one of the reasons he was successful. Um, yeah, and Cor- well, they, Cor- that... and Corbyn yeah. did the same thing. You know, he appealed outside the usual political institutions um, and was really quite popular for it. But was but both of those figures have been destroyed or very very badly tarnished by establishment campaigns in the case of the campaign against Corbyn it was just a load of nonsense in the case of the of the Trump thing I don't really know but you know it's they're definitely fl- throwing everything they possibly can at him including the ki- kitchen sink um, and I don't suppose they care if any of it's true or, or not. Um, so it's it's only the um, it's only the establishment that is um, that's destroying those um, that was has destroyed those uh, those political figures and those political movements. Um, so yeah, well they know. they control the public conversation, right? Because on the ground, mm. Trump is very popular, and Corbyn is actually still very popular. Yeah, yeah. Um, but in the public conversation. Well, the media-led public conversation, uh, you can't really talk about e- either of them seriously. No. Um, and no, well, they've got they haven't got much of a constitution uh, constituency, um, have they? I mean, Corbyn's got no constituency really. I mean, I know he's technically got his local constituency, um, but he doesn't actually have um, any institutional backers. Um, so, I mean, he's in an extremely weak position. Um, Donald Trump maybe in maybe a bit different, um, even though he is uh, you know, much more popular with the uh, broader electorate and sort of has that that reach. But yeah, yeah, do- that's interesting. In- institutional backers. Um, I was watching not the Andrew Marr show, talking to Bob Gill, who's a, a long time. He's a doctor in the NHS and he's a long time. Um, activist fighting against NHS privatization and he made a documentary called The Great NHS Heist which I recommend people check out and he was talking about organizations supposedly on the left affiliated or not affiliated with the Labour Party but certainly uh, most organizations that are supposed to be ringing the alarm bells about NHS privatization Basically, all they say is get a Labour government in. Mm. And they don't actually explain the process by which the NHS is being privatised and how Mm. that is uh, a cross-party consensus. Mm. And you can say, you can make arguments that the Labour Party, that the NHS will be safer in the Labour Party's hands. Bob Mm. Gill would actually argue that it wouldn't be. And I think that's something that's worth thinking about. but you would never you never really get an understanding of how it's being privatized what the forces are that are pushing for that and what actual fight back against that would look like because in the end it just becomes tory fearmongering because all of these organizations in some ways are just uh propping up uh getting a labor government rather mm-hmm. than actually properly fighting for the cause that they believe in it's it all mm. becomes party political and you're either mm. you know to, to have a voice to have um any say in the conversation you have to make a claim to be for the tories or the labor party mm. instead of actually saying well we're just for this one idea of having a a, a nationalized health system and getting out getting rid of privatization and we're going to call out 
any part party and any policies that we see as a threat to that. And you're right. And, and so all of these institutional, these institutions, they end up backing the Labour Party and they end up backing the right wing of the Labour Party who are mm -hmm. in control of the Labour Party. I just think it's uh, not helpful to to do that because you may as well have a conservative government. Um, I know I feel, feel like I'm treading over a sort of old old ground here, but I guess we're, in 1997, because the economy was going well, um, Blair was actually able to um, give an indication that there was going to be a bit more spending, at least over time. And he was able to address various social issues as well. Um, but... But even then, quite rightly, we were all saying, well, the Labour Party is not actually going to change anything. But now, uh, 25 years later, there's not even an argument. I can't even see the case for saying, well, at least we're going to be a bit different, like what Blair was doing. Even if, even if in 97, everyone was saying, yeah, but you're not going to be. At least he was able to say, well, I will do something. But Starmer's not even doing that. Starmer is just gliding in um, like a like the greyest of grey stealth fighters um, into a into a dull sea and just landing quietly. Um, so, I mean, the best I've seen, I've discussed with a few people, sort of some people say, well, maybe he'll be a bit less racist than the right wing. It's like, what? Well, I mean, him personally I, being less. <laughs> well, you, you know, will it sort of usher in a kind of slightly nicer bunch of, I don't, I don't believe that. I don't believe that the Starmer lot are nicer people than the Conservative lot at the moment. I, mean, I think you make that case various times, you know, when there isn't any um, opportunity to, uh, when the, there aren't any opportunities for further spending, when the ideologies are similar. You, maybe there is a case for, oh, this person is more competent. I like, I'd have voted for Corbyn, even if, he'd, even if he hadn't said, look, we're going to raise 50 billion. I'd, I'd have just been like, well, he's a nicer person than... Um, uh, Owen Smith or whoever the hell else was, um, uh, you know, was competing against him um, a few years ago. I'd have, I'd have gone for that anyway. But um, you're kind of blowing your own point here. But... I'm blowing my own point, but I'm, <laughs> I'm saying, yeah, it's, it's. But, but in, in this case, do we, does anyone really think that Keir Starmer is a nicer person than? Well, even if you else? go on Twitter, I don't know what to make of people. Like, he's just a thoroughly decent bloke. This is he? Keir Starmer. Well, this is what people say. I don't know. Has he got, I, well, good, ju has he got think... good judgment? Has he? Is any of these things? I don't there know. Is, I, I mean, I... The, the, the whole thing was blown apart during the Corbyn era because there was suddenly this, you know, bullshit anti-Semitism stuff. But it suddenly became an issue of actually, would a Labour Party be better than the Tory Party? You know, always the mantra has been Labour Party better than the Tory Party for a certain constituency of you know, centre-left, whatever, people like, get Labour in, doesn't matter what they're doing, doesn't matter who they're talking to, where they're getting the money from, Labour will be better. But then under Corbyn, they found this way of saying, oh, actually, maybe it wouldn't be better because he's dangerous. He's, he's incompetent mm. and he's dangerous. It's always the, the, the double uh, yeah. contradictory position. Well, it's, yeah, it's, the when, same thing with, it's the same thing with Putin, isn't it? We keep on saying, ha ha, his failed invasion, his yeah, foolish yeah. invasion, his incompetent invasion. By the but if we don't keep that up, yeah. sinister, calculated, if we, if we, if we, playing uh, motherfucker of all time, who can't yeah. do anything because he's so weak. If we take our eyes off the ball anything. for a second, they'll be in Poland. You've got to be right <laughs> yeah. on him. But very incompetently. <laughs> very, very poorly at doing that, Putin. The expansionist aims to take over the entirety of Europe.
And but I think, you know, I think it's worth thinking about would Labour be a better government than the Tory party? And having I just an idea that, look, you it's not about... Well, maybe it's not just a fucking yes, they will definitely be better in absolutely every way, or no, they won't. Like, they talk about making tough choices, and everybody loves to use that as an excuse. Well, Labour have to make tough choices. But then the tough choices are never actually that they'll do anything worse than the Tory party. So it's actually a very easy choice because no matter what they say or do, everybody's like, well, they have to make tough choices. That sounds bad, but you need a Labour government, right? They're like, well, maybe, particularly on the NHS, it would be better to have a Tory government. And on Labour, it would be better uh, on energy issues. So Labour have still kept, mm -hmm. one thing they've kept to is the windfall tax on oil and gas giants. Oh. And I don't know if they will keep that by you know mm. tomorrow, but at the moment it's still on the agenda, and that would be good, yeah. But if you want to safeguard mm. the NHS, from what from the mm. rhetoric that's coming out at the moment from uh, West Street, I mean West Streeting, just if anybody's going to privatize the NHS, it's going to be West Streeting, right? He's like, um, he's like, what is he like? He's like, he's like if you took Tony Blair, you sort of crossbred Tony Blair and Peter Anderson in a lab. And then you did sort of gain of function research on on the sort of weird monster that you created. And then that monster leaked out of the lab somehow because you didn't have very good security and then was unleashed on the British public. And then you were so embarrassed by it. You had to say, oh, actually, no, this was all on purpose. We're streeting. We, we like West streeting. He's supposed to be in the Labour Party. Security by Vladimir Putin, obviously. Yeah. Incompetent. Incompetent, but dangerous. But West streeting. Yeah, Isn't it strange, like with with American politics, it's a similar thing that uh, if the if Trump gets in, then it might lead to hopefully, probably more stable international relations because of because um, uh, he will make moves to to make peace in Ukraine for a start. Um, but he'll be a complete disaster on climate change. But well, you uh, have for to, me, well, it's partly because when you have this centrist politics, you have to appeal yeah. to the, the other constituency. And it's difficult for yeah. the Tories to do much with the NHS. I mean, they do put in some terrible policies, but they get real pushback on it. But Labour mm. can fucking gut the NHS because what yeah. are you going to do? Vote Tory. Yeah. <laughs> like, you, you know, there's no. Yeah. Uh, and this is the problem when, when politics is all about dancing on the head of a pin. It's just that there's, when there's such a narrow ideological band, it's like there's just very tiny differences that can be made. And then you can have these ironic changes where the Conservatives can end up being better on um, uh, the NHS. And, uh, well, that's the thing. And, I mean, nobody that supports Starmer... Even, yeah, nobody who supports Starmer says, look, Starmer's got a fundamentally different politics to the Conservative Party. It's, mm. yeah, Starmer is a better... Per he's like less racist as a person. But generally, the idea is that he is a better manager. And that's what he's selling himself mm. as, as a better manager of the same sort of policy pro program as the Conservatives have. And that policy program, in mm. the end, mm. leads to NHS privatization. It's, it's the only, it's, it's the root of, of like neo neoliberal logic. You can't start putting loads of money mm. into a nonprofit organization like the NHS if you're going to stick to the fiscal mm. rules that you've decided are the only way because you're basically you don't want to scare the markets because you don't want to be yeah but this, this is this again it was the same thing in that uh, seismic um uh, election in 97 
um, that the Labour Party basically sealed its victory by saying we're going to stick to the fiscal plans of the Conservative Party. Um, but at the time, at least they were able to also say, well, we're going to do this thing with, um, uh, uh, I don't know what they were calling it then, but probably LGBT rights, uh, gay marriage. Um, we're going to do uh, fox hunting reforms. And there's one or two other things, sure start sentence things, um, that they were able to, to talk about. Um, that that at least kind of gave them the sense that they were, and also they're a young, a kind of a younger party and a younger leadership. So they sort of had that sense that they were doing something. But there isn't that with the with the no, with that's Starmer's the real leader. weird thing and, about what's. So, so it's when there isn't even that, it's a bit like well, there's nothing to vote for. Then it's uh, it's 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 um, it's perpetuating that problem by voting for the Labour Party. In my view, I don't give a shit if Labour win or not next time. Um, I mean, maybe I'll feel a bit bad the day after if they do lose. Um, but I, I don't I don't think it's healthy to... Uh, I think that would be a, an, an emotional response rather than a, a, a healthy one or, or a sane one. I think it's bad well, I'll, to... I'll help, you make it, I'll help you make it into a sane one. What's the uh, constituency situation in Bath? Well, it's all Liberal Democrats here. Right, um, so you both, you both I, doesn't matter, so fuck it. Uh, yeah, the, yeah. I think there's no doubt that the Lib Dems would win here. Although, um, uh, yeah, I guess the Conservatives could get in. And again, I, I, I mean, yeah, I've kind of. All right, so it's a, the Conservatives are the second party. Yeah, yeah I, I, yeah, I don't think. Um, I don't think I'd give a shit if the, either of those either. <laughs> there, there, there's just... no, yeah, there's no, but there's absolutely no way that Labour can lose the constituency that I live in. So it really yeah. doesn't matter yeah. who yeah. I vote for. Yeah. Uh -huh. And people well, are like, well, you got to vote. And it's like, well, change the fucking voting system then. And I'll. Yeah. Well, this is the thing. It all, to me, it all comes down to, particularly since um, Corbyn lost, is that all of this stuff has to be street movements, really. Um, and personally, I think that we should get, as a society, we should get more into like the major issues. The major issues, as far as I see it, are, um, are press freedoms climate change and um, and international instability. Um, and that's in decreasing order. <laughs> international instability is probably the most important one. And, and there are a few issues as well, um, probably to do with police violence and things like that, that I don't know as, as much about that other people might prioritise. If we turn the, um, uh, the political conversation in our country around to those key issues, I think that actually the other kind of reforms and the other kind of parties can follow from that. But I don't quite know how that can happen in a um, in a society where you know can 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 issues kind of lead a society and be the main main drivers of of political debate of news cycles and all that kind of thing um, rather than um, political parties. Um, well, they can be they can be uh, if Rupert Murdoch's involved. Yeah, or, um, or whatever yeah, they, they can drive a kind of propaganda campaign, the sort of systematic. Um, yeah, like ULES. Um, that's yeah, the, yeah, yeah. Or, or you know, migrants on boats. Like the Daily yeah. Mail loves to have campaigns. They run yeah. on campaigns, yeah. which is yeah. actually very healthy. It's a very healthy dem like way of looking at politics. It's just that nobody it else does it. Which campaign yeah. you're going for? If you're going like for the, the Guardian, would would never you know they would never do that. Partly because they're out of their depth. They should they should stick to fashion. Yeah, that's a strange one, isn't it? Um, that actually the big tabloid, the big right wing tabloids are the ones that do these uh, these big campaigns, um, and they're actually very effective at it. Um, but it's it's the left that sort of talks about campaigning issues and um, 
uh, issue-based politics and serious politics and and uh, and all that. Uh, but actually, it's the it's the right that's that's better at that kind of that kind of thing. Uh, I think Imagine the if the Guardian started a campaign to free Assange. Yeah, and I mean, that, through that, that would probably work. That would probably and then through work through that campaign. They could filter out into all of these other issues, including yeah. media bias, media censorship, media domination. Yeah, yeah. and and it, it's it probably wouldn't take that much because you know the case against Assange is so weird and flimsy that it'd probably just take one newspaper just to come out to to do that. And of course, all the newspapers have now made statements saying uh, uh, that they think that Assange should be released, but they did that many, 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 many years too late. And also, they didn't make a campaign out of it. They just—they're basically—they've covered their backs. They've said, yeah. "Yes, uh, this is going to cause a problem with reporting everything to do with national security if he is um, charged." Uh, if he is, uh, uh, go but I mean, yeah, yeah. Well, we—I spoke about this with Heather on a podcast ages ago. There's a really good article, um, not declassified, but it's to do with I think I think Matt Kennard was involved in it, mm. and it's about what happened to the guardian after they initially uh, were involved in the wikileaks and mi5 went into their offices and smashed up their computers basically yeah, I'm, yeah. intimidated them and bullied them so yeah i'm literally reading a book um called the history thieves uh, at the moment um i forgot the name of the of the author now but he's actually one of the like the really really good one of the handful of really really good journalists at the guardian uh, and the first page of that is about um, MI5 going into the Guardian offices and smashing up their hard drives. Is that no, the Guardian now? Uh, uh, yeah, you've, you've, I've forgotten the name of the guy, but it's the author of, I think it's, I'm pretty sure he's still there and it's the author of the um, History Thieves. Um, and that was a Has book. Has he not been fired? He's still going. But the, the point was that the, um, you know, that they just Ian did that. Kobe. As an, I, Ian Yes, it. Yeah, Ian's great. And, and, um, they did that smashing up um, of the hard drives, even though the Guardian was saying it's completely pointless. There's no point in you smashing up these hard drives. All of this material is elsewhere. It's on servers in the United States, and they, and MI5 is just like don't, don't care um, because because it was a way to intimidate. Um, yeah, uh, Ian Cobain, yeah. a journalist since uh, the early 1980s, Cobain was the senior investigative reporter for British newspaper The Guardian until August 2018. Who does he work for now then? Because I've I've been in contact with him at one point. Um, he has. Uh, who's he work for now? Uh, it doesn't say. This is, this is Wikipedia. I'm sure. I think he still works. I think still think. Uh, well, he anyway, might still. Um, but, he might. He might. Yeah, be, that, um, that is the point that I think the. Uh, he might get, you know, he might get stories in there, but he's not, he's not on staff or whatever. He's not the senior investigative journalist anymore. Um, speaking, can, we get, quite, can we get, can we get Jonathan Cook on this show? Whatever uh, this is a show. Can, you can ask is. him. Um, yeah. I've emailed him, but he doesn't know who I am and he doesn't reply to me. Uh, I, yeah, I'm sometimes in contact with Jonathan Cook a little bit. Um, uh, yeah. I, I, not I, to I, talk I, about COVID. Of course not. <laughs> we'll, we'll keep it on plastic straws the whole time. Don't worry. Yeah, I, I don't know. I'll um, well, when, next time I see him, which I'm sure will be at some point in the coming months, I'll uh, I'll mention it. Yeah, yeah, please do. Um, speaking of uh, people trying to make sense of the world, I want to show you this video of uh, James O'Brien. Oh, I, I I watched this this morning. Is this when he's talking about Donald? Uh, yes. 
giving us cutting insight into uh, what's going on in the world of uh, American politics and populism. Um, yeah, this is really good because um, basically James O'Brien just says that he doesn't know what's going on. That's his take. And, and to be honest, I quite liked it. It's quite an honest take. I wish that uh, other people were this truthful. But anyway, let, let's have a listen. Off the top of my head, right, is, is a convicted sex offender. He has been heard boasting on tape about official secrets that he stole from the White House. He has been heard on tape trying to steal the last election by pressuring politicians uh, and, and, well, officials um, in Georgia to find him votes that hadn't been cast. The evidence is absolutely irrefutable. Uh, the vagaries of the law and court cases and the American legal system. But, the, I mean, it is truly breathtaking. And yet here we are. It's it's quite incredible. So this mugshot appears overnight, and immediately Donald Trump is is selling T-shirts with it on. And this, I mean, it's the point about the evidence, isn't it? And listen, if you're sitting there thinking, oh, Hunter Biden's laptop or something like that, because the idea of any equivalence or balance or yeah, but in this kind of scenario is absolutely crackers. I mean, truly, truly crackers. And yet here we are again with him way ahead in the polls. It's crackers. <laughs> that's that's all he has to say on what's happening in American politics right now. With no, he's got no time for any arguments against it, even though that at the same time he has no idea why Trump is so popular. It's like this sort of willful ignorance. Like these people, I don't understand why people like Trump. And also, if you bring up any arguments that might help explain that, I dismiss all of those arguments. So, so well, no wonder you don't know what the hell is going on. But I think that's it's quite good. I'm I'm, I'm hoping that that's going to be the new. Um, I'd like to see Newsnight, like just at the start of Newsnight, they'll be like, "Hello, welcome to Newsnight. Tonight's top story: anti-Semitism in the Labour Party. We have no idea what's no going idea on. No idea what's going on." <laughs> Yeah, uh, well, I mean, James O'Brien speaks very kind of, um, uh, he, he brooks no compromise, does he? Um, you know, he, he'll say, you know, the evidence on that is irrefutable. Um, and that's partly because he's, you know, a, as a job, he is a, you know, as a DJ, he's there to make emphatic points. Um, yeah, and I but you, and I think he, would, he thinks he's a journalist and that his job is there to explain what's going on. And you think, well, how, how does this explain anything? I think he just likes winning arguments. I mean, he's literally got a book out, hasn't he, which is called How to Win Every Argument. Yeah, I which is, I guess the main idiot. thing is don't make any arguments. <laughs> just say it's obvious. Well, yeah, I think that's part of it, isn't it? Um, you know, the, the, the way to win an argument is to just say, no, this is irrefutable, to kind of shout people down, to expose uh, holes in what, in what your opponent is saying, um, to, and to brook no compromise. Uh, and that, you know, to some extent, you are winning an argument if you do that. But it also means that you, it can be quite cartoonish, like the way that he um, handles that. And there's no there's no no room really for nuance in his or very little room for nuance in the way that he presents cases. It's like a tabloid journalist. It's like um, it's like why everyone hates Piers Morgan um, is not that, Piers Corbyn. Everyone. Loves yeah, Piers I was about Corbyn. to get mixed up there again. Um, you know, people don't like him because they think that he's this kind of 
a lot of people anyway, because they don't really follow it, they think that um, that Piers Morgan is this kind of right wing blah blah blah, but he's not. He's he's actually just a ta- he comes from the tabloid press, and so he speaks in headlines all the time. So he sounds very simplistic, um, in the same way that um, uh, that Matey Boy, who have just been watching, yeah, I mean they're uh, basically the like same, that. right? Donald Trump speaks like that, but actually with all and of these Donald people, Trump, yeah, that's it. And it's all of these criticize Donald Trump for for not they've like just having very, an argument. They've got a very good rhetorical style, which appeals to a mass audience. And there is actually nothing particularly wrong with that as long as you're, you know, as long as you're processing the information, analyze, uh, evaluating the information um, in an appropriate way and coming from uh, coming from a place of kindness and peace and love and all that kind of thing. Yeah, well, that's a so lot, that's a lot of caveats, Matt, that, you know, I don't know if that is widely shared well, by supporters of any of these people. Well... I don't think there's anything particularly controversial that, you know, people, people can appeal, uh, politicians and journalists can appeal to the public through just speaking in eloquent um, and simple terms. doesn't mean that they're pieces of shit for doing so. It might, Donald Trump might also be a piece of shit. Mm. Piers Morgan might also be a piece of shit. And James O'Brien might not be a piece of shit. Um, what, but I don't know. The, sorry, I'm lost now. What's the definition of a piece of shit in this? Well, it, it depends on your motivations, doesn't it? It depends on what you actually want out of it. I mean, you, you can, and you, and it's it's hard to it's hard to know. Piers, uh, <laughs> not Piers. Fucking too many stupid fucking names. Piers Corbyn. Um, Piers no, Corbyn. The guy, you, you want to no, say Piers Corbyn? We've talking about uh, James Corbin. O'Brien. James O'Brien might be the worst of the lot of them because maybe all he actually wants to do is just shout people down and win every argument. That might be the case. Um, that that's his. It's just an egotistical thing that he just likes to w- have the last damn word in every argument. Maybe he's actually more, more badly. No, no, no. He he people. thinks. I don't know. He thinks that he's that he's absolutely right about everything, even though he can't explain anything that's going on in the world. Uh, he thinks that his position is well. Is anyway, go, going back to before before my vague rant there, um, the, I think one of the reasons he doesn't understand it is he doesn't understand the appeal of Trump is because he does think so emphatically, and he's got quite black and white thinking, and he doesn't really like engaging in those those sort of longer discursive things. And that's why he's so intolerant when anyone rings in, which makes great radio. <laughs> he's by the, the worst way. fucking <laughs> chat show host. Well, they all are. I mean, that's the he, thing. He, he absolutely despises anyone who calls in. He's got his head in his hands. He's always having a nervous breakdown with the rage. <laughs> well, that's the thing. Gets. I don't and know. I mean, that's great radio. That's that means he's a very good radio presenter. I Is he? Really I don't know. I can't really stand it. And and I don't know who I feel more sorry for know. because I, I the people listen, that ring I in. Listen to him. No, I find it really infuriating. I can't listen to him more than a few minutes of it. And I don't know who's worse. The people ringing in, what do they fucking expect? He's been doing this for but, years. But, He's always treated people like shit. And people still ring up and expect to get a, um, you know, a fair hearing. You uh, know, or, what you know, did Jeremy so- Kyle do? What did Jeremy Kyle do after his bear baiting show? He went into um, into political DJing yeah. on whatever it was, LBC or whatever. Um, you know, it's all these same kind of people. That that's basically where they're coming from. I, I don't think it necessarily means that they're good or bad. I but I think what it, as people, I just think that is that it is the genre of that show. It's like um of that form. It's like tabloid journalism. If you start speaking in those terms, 
um, then that, that's what you're going to get. And you're going to get a mass audience for that. But it is really funny that they, all of the people that present the shows give the impression that they fucking hate talking to people. Yeah. members of the public yeah and, and what is like the, it's this the is basic the thing. thing that you do it's and like so joe biden is... it's like joe Bri biden has this aura that he hates being asked about politics it's like yeah, come on man yeah. yeah come on just let me go to bed come on it's like this is just why you don't have to be in this job you know it's like but, how... but and that is and that is exactly why um james o'brien doesn't understand the appeal of trump because he doesn't understand how uh how the people look at that kind of sneering attitude and think Ugh, these guys seem way worse than trump <laughs> so that's yeah, yeah, what true. it's all about because he because they do seem elitist if every time anyone rings you up uh on your radio show that is for them for the audience you treat them like a piece of dirt so yeah, and you don't give any argument. People... You just say it's fucking obvious. Donald Trump yeah. is uh, he's evil. Yeah, just... He's committed yeah. crimes. He should be locked up. It's fucking obvious. How dare you question me? Yeah, and then it's like people aren't responding well to this. People are still supporting Trump. I better yeah. double down and be even more obnoxious. Yeah. And and what and what then happens? Then you again is about that polarization thing. You're basically getting uh, everyone is just lining up on on other, on the other side, and they're getting more and more entrenched in there. Uh, in their opinions, it's incredibly bad for society. But not us, eh? Not here at whatever this is. No, we're right in the middle of it. We're right in the center. Yeah, the sometimes new, drifting new... over to the left, sometimes wafting Depends over the to the right. <laughs> Depends on the um, issue. We're the new center. This is new center ground. We're, there should, just, there does need to be a new center. There needs with the to be new moderates. New, there needs to be a new. There does need to be moderates. There needs to be a new what, consensus. What do you mean? There needs. We are it. It's already here, Matt. You're right. In yeah, the... well, yeah, but we can say that we're it. But if it's literally just this, me and you. Well, yeah, I, I, I'm, I'm, I'm having serious very, doubts that's not about good. you. It might just be me at this point. I might, I might have to. There's already some factionalism in it. The... I'm definitely drifting off to one side or the other, but I'm not going to tell right, you which. Well, yeah. <laughs>